0: So I want to talk with you tonight about working with emotions, afflictive emotions in particular, the ones that are difficult for us and that um, can sometimes block our access to what is happening, that block our access to our open heart, and they come up on retreat as well as in daily life. There's a story that I've heard a couple, in a couple different ways, different times, about the Dalai Lama, um, that when the Tibetan, Tibetans come over the mountains from, from Tibet and they come down to um, Dharamsala, that they often have an audience with the Dalai Lama. Um, and he welcomes them, and he listens to their stories. And reportedly he cries when he hears their stories at the suffering of the Chinese and um, coming over the mountains. He has an emotional response. He's not, um, he doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't need everything to be, um, there's not some stoic force there. I remember Ajahn Semedo talking in a talk that um, he gave here in this hall, talking about how he would go along for a while thinking, yes, I'm cool, I'm calm, I'm collected, yeah, no self, everything's fine. And then something would happen in the monastery, some event, and there would just be this big uprising of emotion and events inside himself. And he said at first he thought something was wrong. And then after a while, he said he understood it was just the sensitivity of being alive. It was our human experience that things impact us. Causes and conditions come to us. And when we respond, emotion is our natural human experience. It's not something to be afraid of or that in our practice we're trying to make go away. It's part of this sensitivity of being a person. It's our natural response to living in this unstable, impermanent world. And as we've gone through the instructions, through the breath, through sounds, all the sense doors, thoughts, and emotions, paying attention to their rising, their full, Expression and their passing away is very much a part of our practice. One of the first things that we notice with emotions, just like everything else, is that we cannot control them. We can't control when they come, how long they stay, and when they leave. We can respond to them. We can learn to be more skillful, but we can't control them. In fact, in our daily lives, if we look carefully, emotions is one of the places where we are most often completely taken over by forces that seem beyond us. And this taking over can feel quite uncomfortable. And often in our practice, we think that something's wrong if emotion comes up. But the arising of emotion and also the not arising it after I give this talk, some people are going to walk away and go, oh my goodness, I'm not having any emotion. Am I okay? What did I do wrong? It's just the natural um, cycles of practice. Sometimes we go along and we're Just open and spacious and cool for a long time. And then somehow that calm itself allows some sort of um, unpeeling of the onion, like a layer. It creates the space, the capacity for another layer of our emotional history, what we're holding, our memory, to bubble up. And then we may have a period of a lot of emotion, a lot of event, and then it may calm down again. Sometimes it'll be faster, sometimes it's very every once in a while. This happens even when we're on um, when we're on a concentration, when we when our practice is more concentration oriented, we may go longer periods and the emotion when it comes might be a little bit um quieter but we see it. It feels at the time like it's a disruption of our practice, but it's not. It's the natural unfolding of what happens next, and it's what is there, we experience it, and then it processes through us. They're called afflictive emotions, the emotions of hatred and ill will and jealousy and stinginess, sadness, grief, because we suffer when we're in them. And this suffering, a lot of it is that we feel separate in that moment. We're separate from other people. We're disconnected from ourselves. We're disconnected from the the fullness of our own heart, from those qualities of metta and compassion. That's where it starts. And a lot of the practice that when we work with emotion is the process of reconnecting, and in that process of reconnecting, the tools, our mindfulness, our attention, the moment to moment that we awareness that we've built up comes into our service. And as we reconnect, as the mindfulness comes back in, gets stronger, our understanding about what's happening, the wisdom comes out of it, and it transforms from an affliction to a gateway to understanding. And this is the process that um, when we understand this, and we see this, and we experience it over and over, we begin to see when an emotion arises that it's not that something wrong is happening. In fact, the opposite. An opening, a new understanding, a place to grow, is becoming available to us. I remember after my first long retreat, after the end of the retreat, I'd been, and I, I, that retreat, I'd had a very blissful, open, spacious feeling. And at the end of the retreat, a couple days later, I had an interaction with my partner, just out on the beach here. And there was this huge, like, I just went into one of my habitual patterns of, you know, thinking how I knew how things should be and um, let him know that. And the contraction, the pain of separation from the, my own ease and the separation I felt from him was so painful. And it was amazing seeing that pain of separation so clearly. It was really, really useful. You can imagine how much I learned over, it didn't go away very quickly, but as I saw what I had done and how it had created separation. When we're on retreat, even the really subtle ways that we separate or contract can become available to us. If we're having a very steady time of it, then it might just be that just that little thought about that person is in my way, we can see the blip of it. And we can see how it affects our body. We can see the thought. So even at that point, it may not be full-blown into emotion, but we, can st- we get the opportunity, the steadier we are, to see the more and more subtle pieces. So though sometimes as I'm talking about this, it may sound like I'm talking about really big ones and really overt, it can apply at any level, wherever you see it. This seeing of emotion is a really necessary part of our practice. It's what (coughs) the Tibetan, um, Tibetans talk about it in an interesting way. They talk about how seeing emotion and letting it go through our body and opening to it, that it untangles the nadis. I still have no idea, even though I've heard this and her teachers, teach what the Nodies are. But, but I think it's a wonderful, without knowing exactly the Nodies, it's a wonderful metaphor in any event for the, like the energy in your body. It's like we untangle it. You know how something happens, um, somebody says something to you, and there's all of a sudden this whole set of like twistedness that gets all tangled up inside of us. The way they said it reminds us of our our mother and what our second grade teacher said. And all of a sudden, we're all tangled up in all of that. And when we open and when this becomes more flushed out of us, then when somebody says something, it doesn't run in and bang into all this tangle. And it can just flow through us much more easily. It's like, The open, spacious body allows for the open, spacious heart and mind. Carl Jung says, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The latter is disagreeable and therefore unpopular. (laughs) So we're engaged in an unpopular process here. You may have felt that a few times. I remember a woman on a retreat I was teaching who we were doing a lot of laying down meditation and relaxing meditation. And she um, wasn't, was uncomfortable with it. And, but she kept doing it. And then one day, many days into the retreat, she real, the memories came to her and she remembered and she realized that she had been tight, tense, whenever she lay down because of some abuse that had occurred for her. And once the memories came and it flooded through her and she saw it and she understood it, she reported this incredible ease in her body that she'd completely forgotten was there over a period of the last ten years. There all of a sudden there was space inside her. And I thought this was a really poignant example of the way that this spaciousness can come in, be returned to us, our natural relaxation. The emotional history that we trap, the emotions in us trap our history, our sense of self gets trapped in here. It gets trapped in our body pain, right in our body. We hold that history. And when we have body pain, you already have experienced this over and over. When we have body pain, the sense of self more readily arrives. My body pain. It doesn't always, but it There's a way that we connect with that and own it. And that's particularly true if it's an emotional um, holding that we have. And the pain that we hold from emotions often gets recycled in the mind as well. Over and over, the thought, the repetitive thoughts, you know, the sort of... uh, jumping on that same story, the, the top 10 themes of what is going on in your life or has gone on, those often have a strong emotional component. So this process of bring, letting the emotions come through us is the process also of freeing those repetitive thought processes. And understandably, in our, in our lives as we grow up, emotions, we often either suppress or avoid them or act them out. And often we suppress or avoid them because we're afraid of acting them out. We've seen what ha- what we do, the unskillful actions we have when we act something, when we act from that place, and so it's safer. Or we see other people's unskillfulness when they act out, and so we suppress it. And what we're trying to find is the middle ground between there, where we neither act something out nor suppress it, but instead it arises... And we get to know it without acting it out. And retreat is so ideal for that because there's not a lot of acting out available to you. There's some, there's some, but not a lot. And so that creates a safety net. We we're being um, the container helps us. And gives us the um, security that we're not going to act out. And therefore, it's safer to experience our emotions. There's a story from uh, Ajahn Chah that there was a palm reader who was very curious about what Ajahn Chah's palm might look like. And finally, he got Ajahn Chah, who didn't believe in any of that sort of thing, but but... Ajahn Shah said, Okay, fine, you can look at my palm. And the guy um shaking his head this is quoted from it shaking his head in wonderment, he looked up and said, Longpur, which is what Ajahn Shah was called. This is amazing. Look at this line here. And lancing, glancing up again, somewhat sheepishly, you have a lot of anger. <laughs> yes, replied Ajahn Shah. His face illumined by a foot-wide grin. That's true, but I don't use it. (laughs) So not acting it out is an incredible protection. So working with the emotions directly without acting them out And I already mentioned receive, the, receiving them as a gift. There's a s- story I like the, about a poisonous tree. And the first step when you see a poisonous tree is you might fence it off. You put a wall around it and don't. And you sort of go, "Whoa, there it is." And that's the first step with emotion, right? Whoa, this is big. <laughs> I, I need a little distance here. I'm not. If I go in there, I'm gonna impale myself on every thorn it has. Then we go, okay, I see it. I'm going to open the gate and go in and explore what's happening here. Check it out. Okay, yeah, it's really thorny. See where that is. Work my way around. Get to know it a little. And then the third step is like so many things that are poisonous on one level. We can transform it into medicine. It becomes a transformative power for us. It deepens our understanding. So as we come into touch with this, it may seem at first that our suffering increases. You may have noticed that on retreat already. you an emotion comes up and normally in daily life it would just go by but now it's just painful and that's that's because of your actually being aware of it. The mindfulness is coming to your service. So as we look at the emotion the first thing that's helpful to see is that emotion will always have a trigger. There's something that happens. And it's at a sense gate, or so it might be something like, um, you have a, you're sleepy in the hall, and there's just sleepiness, but then you feel, ugh, I don't sleep well, And they gave me a roommate, and how am I supposed to sleep with this? And pretty soon there's like a whole upset event going on. And if you go back and check at the beginning, it had to be stimulated by something. There was just some drowsiness, and then the unpleasantness of that and aversion to it. Or a sound happens, and it's unpleasant, and it reminds you of a sound that, you know, you, you're you somebody who has a lot of, the, the cough uh, example has come up a lot, but it could just be somebody beside you moving or somebody's breath. And it's like, ugh I can't find my own breath, but I can sure hear theirs. You know, and then it goes on to, you know a whole event about that. So it's really the uh, it's interesting to see what the what the trigger is, what makes it happen. And a lot of times, like everything, it's this comparison between the way we think things should be and the way things are appearing before us. I remember a couple of years ago, they don't seem to be here, but there were um, turkeys that had um, this bubble foot, it was called, and they sort of had swollen feet and they were sort of limping around out here. And it was very emotional, because we, I had the response too, lots of people had it. It's like, the turkeys shouldn't be sick. They're They're not okay. You know, we need to do something. And it was interesting, of course, we got, I was a manager at the time, we got lots of notes about the the turkeys and how something needed to happen about the turkeys. And we called the wildlife thing and checked it, good little managers trying to fix the turkeys now. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> we called the wildlife people and they said, oh yeah, it's bubble foot, they're, they're fine, they can still get around, they can eat, it doesn't even hurt, and we're like, oh, okay, everything's okay. <laughs> so it could just be the turkey's bubble foot that elicits all this response. So it's useful to see what the trigger is. And then once we see the trigger, we can begin to... Sometimes we don't see the trigger, actually, I should say. Sometimes we can work our way back and see it. But whether we see it or not, the emotion comes up. We start to become awareness. And the first thing we have to do is recognize that it's happening. And some of you are familiar, and those of you who aren't, I'm going to use the outline of RAIN, but in a little more detail. RAIN is an acronym for a four-part way of looking at emotions. Um, but this is a little bit more detailed version of that. But the first thing still that we need to do when working is recognizing the emotion, that it's happening. And there's some ways we can do that. One of the best ones is that it's difficult to think. When we're in an emotion, we're in a place of delusion. We are caught up. We are sure that things are a certain way. We're sure often that we're, sh- we're right that that's the way they are. And it also, with emotion, it creates a lens, a, thing, a way that we look through and see the world. And everything starts to look that way. If we're having a feeling of sadness, if something comes up, then everything looks sad to us. And we can't, it's very difficult to see through that. This really comes up here with yogi, we call it yogi mind. You, something happens, you get in a certain state, and we get caught. And it's like, someone took my umbrella. <laughs> and that gets bigger and bigger until it's a whole big problem with how spirit rock runs the umbrella system, <laughs> <laughs> And we're so caught up in it that we don't even realize that we're having this big emotional response. But if we start to pay attention, we can see when we're that caught. The other thing that helps us recognize that we're in in an emotion is that we spend a lot of energy trying to solve the problem. There's something out there that is causing this emotion to have you made me angry, if you would just stop doing this, I wouldn't be angry. I mean, if you have not experienced that in your daily life, you are blessed. But most of us have the experience of, it's somebody else's, if that person would stop doing that, I would stop being angry. And that's a dead giveaway that we're caught up in our emotion, that we're, that we're trying to solve it. A lot of times there's a sense of urgency that it must be solved and it must be solved in a certain way, which is understandable because we're in a place of pain and we want to get out of it. And it's that trying to solve the thing outside. Well, we all know here that what we're trying to do is change from the that we already know we can't control the outside world. We're changing from the inside. So we get better and better at recognizing these emotional states where we go back to trying to control the outside world. Another thing that happens when we're in an emotional state is that we cut off from the actual experience and distract ourselves. You might see yourself do that here. I think I'll go get a cup of tea. I think I need to think about this, how I'm going to work out my day. It's really complicated. (laughs) I remember once I had a really strong sensation sitting, I was sitting and had this, uh, it got more and more intense and I couldn't figure out what it was, but it started to be so painful and I didn't know what it was. And it was that day that I decided to design the entire landscape around my house. It took hours. And then finally, at the end of that day, I came in the next morning and I said, okay, I'm ready now. I'll, I'm, I'm willing to see what this is. What blocks us from feeling these emotions? Why do we go into these contortions? Some of it is our personal history. I know for myself, my stepdad was an angry person. I saw that anger was unskillful, uncomfortable, did damage around it. I saw no example that anger was an emotion that in any way I should allow to be in me or in my life. And each of you probably have, from your history, certain emotions that were okay and ones that weren't. Maybe sadness wasn't okay. Maybe, even for some people, joy wasn't okay. Grief wasn't okay that you lost a dog and you cried or that somebody moved away and you were upset whatever it might have been. Each of us have a history, often that tells us that certain emotions aren't okay. And then as we get older, we internalize these and come up with more about what a good person, what emotions a good person has and what emotions a good person doesn't have. I was thinking about this and I remember that I think I was, a. About 20, having my completely fallen in love for the first time, went away for a while, came back, and it turned out my love of my life had had was seeing somebody else, but hadn't told me. But he still wanted to see me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, then I should probably just go away for a little while and let you work this out, you know in about with about that much emotion that was my idea of what a mature cool calm collected person should do i think there might have been something missing there i might have not been in full contact with my emotions and then also as we develop in this practice we can also get an idea of what a spiritual person what emotions that person has or doesn't have. Buddhism seems particularly <laughs> laden with this problem, you know, that, oh yes, we're all supposed to be calm, cool, and collected, right? There was a uh, uh, a teacher here, and I'm telling you it's a teacher, but I won't tell you who, had the experience of driving down Sir Francis Drake on their way here to teach a retreat. And a truck was just like bearing down on the back of them and just where they sped up and it followed them and it was this big truck and they were trying to make the right turn into Spirit Rock and like turn on their blinker and it's like this big menacing thing. And then the truck driver lays on their horn behind them. The person said they had this uncomfortable feeling of seeing their hand come up and a certain finger being displayed. (laughs) (laughs) It did not match their description of what a spiritual person should do. (laughs) It just happened. so we have to change from our idea of what the right way to be and enter into a willingness to actually be with what is what's actually happening here and sometimes when the resistance is too big we need too large we're too stuck it does help to just go ahead and apply an antidote so sometimes we might do that like there's There's just a lot of lust and passion. And the traditional one is to anchor in the body, to just really feel the body. And it's actually even more so to feel, know the 32 parts of the body in all their uh, mundane detail as a way, as an antidote for lust. And anger and judgment, you already probably have discovered metta and compassion are antidotes. So that can be helpful if our resistance is too high because first we have to recognize the resistance and then we can get below and actually start to recognize the emotion itself. I've had quite a relationship with fear in different times. When I was growing up, I, I was very very afraid of heights and I don't know exactly how, you know, it was my brother who would go to the edge and look off and I would lay down like 10 feet away from the edge and like see if I could see something without actually getting any closer somehow, in spite of that, I became a climber, I don't know exactly how that happened, but, and I did things like climb El Capitan and Yosemite and was fairly, for somebody who was afraid of heights. And I remember I was about 2,000 feet up on El Cap, and I was tied in with a rope, and the other person was, was up and uh, above me. And in order to continue up from that place, just the way things worked out, I had to, it was overhanging, and I had to let go of where I was attached to the rock. And the result would be that I would be swinging out into space a couple thousand feet above the ground. And I remember having this incredible, like, unbelievable, like, I cannot believe I'm going to do this. And and then going, well, I, I, it appears I'm going to do this. I don't see another way around this. <laughs> so... In the moment where I actually let go and said, okay, I'm going to do this and swung out into space. There was such a relief, such an opening to like, wow, this is like, I'm flying. This is great. But it took that moment of letting go and being willing, letting go of my resistance. But the reason I'm actually telling you that story is because it was years later that I was here practicing and I remember standing at the door over there thinking about walking back into this hall and I remember thinking I know I've done all this stuff like that that I but I cannot walk back in this hall ever again. I am just too afraid. I don't know how all these people are doing it. They are so courageous. This, What I've done out there in the world was nothing compared to sitting here for a month. <laughs> and I really mean it. That was my experience, that sitting here and being being with our emotions, with what happens, takes so much courage. It's a very courageous process we're in. And you're doing it day after day, moment after moment. This is from paraphrased from Devi. Everybody wants to let go, but how do you let go if you don't hold things, if you don't touch things in full consciousness with a totally open heart? The first thing is having the experience of touching, of profound contact. If you let go before touching deeply, that can bring on mental turmoil, a sterile void. This is a mistake. Let go before taking hold, and the heart is never opened. When you touch deeply, you no longer need to let go. That occurs naturally. So what we're doing here, moment after moment, is touching deeply. And the resistance we feel first is the cue that we're about that we're t- if we turn and enter, we can recognize what's happened and go into touching deeply. And from there, we can begin to allow and accept what's happening. We can begin to actually bring our mindfulness and go that way. And as we do that, there's three distinct aspects to emotion. The first one is body sensations. I'm sure you're familiar with this. With anger, there can just be this strong energy coursing through the body. With sadness, there might be a grip. Each of us, it's individual, but there's these sensations in our body. And there's often thoughts, not always, which I'll come back to, but there's often thoughts. There may be a story, something about it. And the two are related and they can feed back and forth off each other. We may notice the thoughts first and then the sensations in the body or vice versa. And often they circulate. One is strong and then the other happens and it comes back and forth. And there's also a mental factor or a tone that's happening of delusion or greed or ill will, conceit, those qualities of judgment. James talked about the other night. So all three of these, and as we start to allow our experience and turn our mindfulness, we can start to see these different components and we're not pushing any of them away. We see the thoughts, we see the sensations. And as we move towards that, we might also notice the unpleasant vedna. And we also, it's a good time to have a moment of recollection that impermanence is our friend at this point. It will not stay like this forever. That really helps. Well, with this allowing it to occur. And then the next step in the acronym of RAIN, the I is often used to be investigation. But I'd like in this case to talk about it as intimacy. Dogen says to study the Buddha way is to be intimate with all things. And that's really what we, when we turn ourselves towards the emotion, we become intimate with it. And by intimate, we deeply know it. We connect with it. That quality of separation gives way to non-separation. We come into presence with what's actually occurring. And we come into intimacy with the body. And this connects, you know, we've heard it before. But the Buddha said, this is one thing, monks, that cultivated and regularly practiced leads to a deep sense of urgency, to the supreme peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of the right vision and knowledge, to happiness here and now, to realizing deliverance by wisdom and fruition of holiness. It is mindfulness of the body. And in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, he tells us to pay attention to the body in all the different postures in the different moments. And in emotion, we pay attention to the body. There's an interesting pattern that we can actually watch, which is that When we start paying attention in the body, if it's unpleasant, there can be, it's like almost as if we get, we feel the unpleasant, and we get squeezed out of the body back into the head. And we go back to thinking about it. And then we can come back into the body. I had an experience a number of years ago of a really strong energetic, it came out of... uh, a few events that happened but as soon as I started to go into it I recognized it was just this deep pattern in my body and it felt I labeled it as fear but it felt like this vibration this energy and it was it was quite unpleasant and if you listen to the earlier story it wouldn't be surprising if I had a bunch of fear locked up in my body that doesn't seem like from years of some of the activities that I engaged in. So I started to be from get more and more familiar with this uncomfortable sensation in my body. And I noticed that I would be with it for a little while and then I would just pop up in my head and it's almost like I needed relief for a little bit. And then I would go back in and feel it. And this actually went on for me for months Until after a while, it didn't have a name anymore. Fear, it it no longer um, had any nameable quality. And you might notice this happening for you at times, that an energy comes, it has a really strong quality, but you almost don't know what to call it. You don't need to call it anything. You can just recognize it, as this strong energy, put your attention with it and just let it happen. And impermanence will move it, change it, and eventually it'll pass. Mary Oliver says, there's nothing in the world if I pay attention long enough doesn't cease to foster wonder and love. And if there is, I haven't found it yet. And I think this is, I remember Joseph Goldstein saying to me when I went into him and said, yeah, I'm being mindful of my aversion. I'm being mindful of my aversion. Yeah, yeah. It's really unpleasant aversion. And he's like, in his, if you've ever, his very simple, direct way, doesn't sound like mindfulness to me. And I was like, but I, it is. I'm being mindful of my aversion. And what he was pointing to, it's true, sometimes we're mindful, there's aversion coming up, and there's moments of mindfulness. But what he was pointing to is that when we're fully in mindfulness, when we're in full contact Full connection. When mindful mindfulness is a beautiful mind state, and with it the separation and disconnection drops away. When we become fully mindful, the aversion is gone. This is that process of becoming intimate. Again from Ajahn Cha. And this is when he was 94 in the hospital. Somebody asked him, what do I do do to destroy anger completely? And he answered, there isn't anybody who destroys it completely. But when it is known fully, it ceases by itself. He really points there in that there isn't anybody who destroys it as soon as we try to destroy it that that self comes in and it's just an, another aversion and we can be intimate with the thoughts as well we can allow them to come see them see them go not getting into their into their content so much but not resisting them, not judging them, not pushing them away, not when we have the thought, you know, we're in anger and we have the thought, I could kill that person. Just a thought that says that doesn't mean we're a bad person. It's just the thought that's coming through. It's that that humanness. We have the protection, we have our sila, we're not gonna go kill them. The thought we don't need to get all bound up in it. And the intimacy with the mental tone and quality, it's that we we can actually start to take the glasses that we're seeing everything through, we can take them off and actually look at them and go, wow, I'm seeing everything through this, this lens of sadness. I'm seeing everything from, through this lens of, of, uh, of jealousy, of wanting it to be, happen to me, not them. And that's really helpful, to actually see the lens we're seeing the world through. This really comes back to that thing, it doesn't matter what we are mindful of. It's the relationship with what's occurring. It all leads to freedom. And emotions are exactly the same. The fourth quality that I wanna, that I wanna mention is non-identification. And as we see the emotions clearly, less and less do we see, We it comes clear to us that less and less of it is about me. Compassion may arise. That's part of when we see through. Another part is that we can start to see, when we're seeing clearly, this is one of the understandings, we see causes and conditions. We see how it happens. And When we see the causes and conditions, it becomes more and more impersonal, less and less specific. Can be really helpful how we language it as we move into this non identification with what's happening. We can just say anger is happening. Sadness is happening. Impatience. And when we're in this place of non-identification, when we're moving that way, we can see then when we are identifying. One of the ways that we identify is we have an emotion, something comes up and it really runs out its thing. And then it starts to go, but we get attached. We're attached to it. And so we rethink the thought to stir up the emotion again. Have you ever had that happen? It's like it's over, but you're not ready to let go because you become, we become identified with it. It's really helpful in that place time to see our identification, to see how there's some gratification in that. And then we can see our way out of it. Often when we experience big emotions from um, old things coming through us, experiences, memories, it can be really intense in this processing it in our body, really seeing intimately everywhere in our body, seeing the thoughts. The first times it happens, it's very, very intense with a given thing. And then it may come again at another time, another place. It may wash through again, have another thing. It's a natural cycle. It's not that we didn't pay proper attention the first time. It's just often that it takes multiple times. (laughs) But each time it comes, we identify with it less and less. We're less and less attached. And the lack of attachment over time lets it go through faster and faster. The sensitivity is still there, but it, it, it's not so sticky. I have this sensitivity in my system. My, my, I have a good friend who named it, um, my high water table. And when things happen, it can be something uh, beautiful it can be something in the world that like just brings up so much sadness, something poignant and there's just it just rises in me I'm just touched and it comes up and I start and there's pressure and I start to tear and sometimes tears come and for a long time I was like really embarrassed about it, especially like giving Dharma talks and stuff like that. I'd had this. And then I realized if I just let it happen, it it lasts like 30 seconds and it's just this touch of poignancy and sensitivity. That's what this body does. (coughs) I don't have to worry about it. It just happens. And you might have even noticed at the very beginning of this talk when I mentioned about the Dalai Lama um, seeing the Tibetans. You might have seen a little surge there and now it was kinda of, came up and then it passed. That's what the system does. It's okay. Find out what your system does. And it's okay. So, at the root, these afflictive emotions are afflictive because of the separation, the disconnection from our creation of I and other. And when we turn around and connect, they can be actually a gateway. They can actually lead us into the deepest understandings and deepest realizations. They can lead us to compassion, to emptiness, to wisdom. We don't need to throw them away. We don't need to get past them to get to the real practice. And we don't need to look forward to the time when we don't have that sensitivity to the world. I remember Joanna Macy, a wonderful uh, teacher um, who's been very active socially um, in the world. Very, and her Buddhist practice is very much her foundation. And I remember her saying to me after I'd done some work with her and she knew I did a lot of intensive practice. And she said, don't let yourself be washed out. And what she was referring to was don't get some idea that you're not supposed to have emotion, that you're not supposed to respond and be sensitive to the world, care about the, what's happening on our earth, care about other people, that that sensitivity is precious. She really points to how the skillful transformation of anger, that, that when we start to have anger, if we look carefully in certain cases, not in others, but that it may be that the anger is coming from our deep compassion for our caring for the world. And that kind of anger transforms into fierce compassion. Don't throw it away. So we do this, what's called the tantric flip. We fl- The emotion becomes the gateway. It's the way in to intimacy. And as we do that, we as we recognize over and over again the, um, this intimacy, this connection, we may we also start to see the emptiness of the emotion. That there's actually not that much happening there. That it washes through, it's impermanent, it's gone. And Sometimes in our practice, with certain things that have processed, we might actually go straight to that place of non-identification. We might see through the emotion right away, recognizing mind essence, seeing the emptiness. If we do this too soon, it's, it can be spiritual bypass. We can be jumping over. But as we become more familiar and more um, Practiced, we can see the non-identification right away. It's not me. It's just phenomena rolling on. And what's left as these afflictive emotions are transformed? I hinted at it with the fierce compassion. It's those other emotions, the Brahma-viharas, the metta, the karuna, mudita. As we are less affected, more connected than this natural full heart that is already here, our true nature, our basic goodness can shine through. I'm going to end with a poem from from Pema Chodra called Genuine Broken Heart. In the very middle of the chest, deep, deep inside, something has broken and it hurts almost all the time. Sometimes it gives birth to anxiety, fear, and panic. Sometimes it gives birth to anger, resentment, and blame. Sometimes it gives birth to tears. This is our kinship with all who have loved truly from beginningless time. You, my dear friend, understand it well. This genuine heart of sadness can teach us great compassion. It humbles the arrogant and softens the unkind. This genuine heart of sadness can teach us great fearlessness. It awakens those who prefer to sleep and pierces through indifference. This continual ache of the human heart, broken by the loss of all that we hold dear, is this not a blessing which, when accepted fully, can be shared with all? So let's sit for a moment.